All right, we are ready to chapter chat once again in the book of Acts. We are in Acts the third chapter this week after a monstrous episode from last week in Acts chapter 2, a supersized version. I'm expecting that this week will will be shorter, uh, but that doesn't mean that we'll have any, you know, our, that our comments will be any less important or this chapter is any less significant. Are you ready to talk about Acts chapter 3, Jason? I'm ready to dive in, Josh. All right, let's just get right to it. Acts 2 ends with uh, this great response from the day of Pentecost where we have all these people that are uh, obedient to the gospel, and we hear those last several verses are great that talk about just the the beginnings of the Lord's church and how these people were committed to each other and to to God and to uh, worship. And uh, we get kind of a shift here in chapter 3, but it is a continuation of of what's been talked about where uh, Peter and John are are kind of singled out here. And really from, from this point forward, uh, we're not going to see so much being talked about uh, as far as all 12 of the apostles collectively. Uh, we're really going to see that Peter becomes kind of the, the, maybe the more prominent character for the next, what, uh, several chapters yeah. before we then get to the story of, of Paul, and then Paul's going to dominate uh, the remainder of Acts. Um, but Peter and John is who we're introduced to here in chapter 3 with this particular episode. So chapter 3 and verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. To just remind everyone of Jewish time that we're working with, the ninth hour would be about what time? 3 p.m. All right, so, uh, and that's kind of neat to, to think about the idea that there was this regular, consistent, habitual time that... Uh, people just regularly practice as a time of prayer. I'm sure that wasn't the only time, but um, you know, how great would it just be able to be said of us just individually that you know, this is the, the time every day when I've just I've set aside personally. Um, and this is probably talking about f- for the Jews, but just for us as, as Christians today, you know, that's my hour, that's my time. Maybe not a whole hour of prayer. It could be a whole hour of prayer, but you know, that's my time every day that I've just blocked that off. I don't allow anything else to interfere with that. Um, that's, that's, that's me and God time. Yeah, you know, uh, you, you see all, all throughout Acts how important prayer is to the disciples. Yes. In, in chapter 1, that, that's what they were doing for those 10 days yep. when Jesus left. Uh, we're going to see it several times in the upcoming chapters too. So it, it's, it's good to have that basis. And I, I think that if we forget about prayer and forget uh, about, you know, on our own and with other brethren... Um, yes, you know we're, we're missing out on a lot. Yes, there's great value in praying with with brethren, and that kind of is is really the the reason that I think this is mentioned to us here is that yes, they were they were probably going to go to pray as well, but they were going because they knew there would be spiritually minded people at this place, and that's a pattern we'll see throughout the whole rest of Acts. Paul is especially good at this. He goes to the places where he knows there's going to be spiritual, God fearing people. And hey, that seems like a great opportunity to talk to people about Christ and help them uh, know more than just what they know, maybe just from the the Old Testament version of God. Hey, there's more to this story, and we want to help you help you know about that. Yeah, you know, if 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 we are more mindful of our our own evangelism and and how we're reaching out to people, we'll we'll be able to to know there there are certain situations we can find ourselves in that people are more willing to talk about God. Yeah, um, and and are more spiritually minded. If I'm sitting in a McDonald's and I'm sitting across the booth from somebody who, uh, you know, bows their head and prays before their meal, yeah. I'm probably going to be inclined to strike up a conversation with that person. Yeah, that says something about you know their their heart and what's a priority to them, and so who knows where that may lead. Um, and there's something certainly to be said for you know what we often refer to as cold calling and just you know where we you know just go up to random people. But there's something to be said about having our our, our kind of sensors up at all times mm-hmm. and just kind of be attuned, looking for those opportunities and people who are demonstrating spiritual interest so that we can then capitalize on that interest. And the apostles, that antenna was up all the time with those guys. Yeah, I mean, it's just making a connection. If yes. we could make a connection, you know, build a bridge to them, yes. uh, more likely to listen. So they go to the temple at the hour of prayer, and verse 2 tells us that a man lame from birth was being carried 
whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Now, it's worth kind of trying to picture in our mind the temple complex. Um, I think a lot of times people just picture, you know, it's just this building that people just went into, you know, akin to like a church building. That's not really accurate. Uh, The temple complex was really a series of of layers or corridors, and this would probably be kind of the, 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 the outer corridor and the entrance, this place that was called the Beautiful Gate, um, that then leads to this next little location that's referenced in uh, verse 11, Solomon's Porch, Solomon's Portico, and that would have kind of been, like I said, kind of that, that, that outermost uh, corridor that they enter into. And this is where we're told that this uh, lame man, this crippled man, is brought day after day to this place um, to ask for for help. He's, yeah. he's seeking charity. Um, probably a couple things uh, to think about with this guy. Number one, this very much seems to be a, a, a legitimate case of someone who is in need. Many times today we encounter people who you know, ask for help and ask for charity. And, you know, and we're skeptical about it a lot of times. And and, and it's because there are a lot of, you know, hucksters and uh, swindlers out there. And so we kind of have our defenses up about that. But there's no doubt with this guy, he's a man that's in need. He's got a legitimate physical handicap that's uh, caused him to, to be in need. Secondly, there's not just a government welfare program in place, mm-hmm. you know, in the first century Judea necessarily. Um, th- there was legislation given um, under the old law, and I actually had, I did have this verse queued up. Me and Jason kind of pride ourselves <laughs> on not having too much uh, prepared ahead of time. But I did think about this passage in Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 and 8, where God commanded, If there is a poor person among you, one of your brothers within any of your gates in the land the Lord your God is giving you, then you must not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother. Instead, you're to open your hand to him and to freely loan him enough for whatever need that he has. And so that was the requirement that God had actually placed upon upon Jews, upon Israelites. Um, if you want to call that a welfare program, then that was it. And it was God saying, you need to look out for, for your, your brother. And I think that they're... This guy's really capitalizing on a good time to do that. Yes. You know, what what better time than the hour of prayer when they are spiritually minded and you know hopefully a little bit more generous. Yes. Uh, ideally, you'd think, and this is probably the reason that people today, when they're in need, one of the first places that they turn is they'll turn to churches. You know, I'm going to look to religious people because these are the people that hopefully have a heart and uh, of, of care and compassion and you know are trying to follow in the footsteps of, of Jesus and so um, they, hopefully they'll give to me uh, what I have have need of uh, lots that could be said about that but I don't want to get off on a tangent about that particular subject because that's really not what, what this is recorded for us for right. verse 3 though we're told that Peter and John seeing him about to go into the temple uh, saw that he asked to receive alms And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and he said, Look at us. Look at us. I think that's, there's something about that. And I think you and I have talked about this before. This significance here of him saying, Look at us. I mean, there's a couple things there. He's just, he's getting his attention to make sure that. He knows what's what's going on, what's about to happen. You know, I, I'm imagining this guy sitting there begging. It, it's kind of a shameful thing. It's not something that you're real proud of. And maybe he's done it so often that he, he just he doesn't look at people anymore. He has his yeah. face down. Yeah. He's, he's really not not paying a whole lot of attention to the faces. And people probably just come by and, and throw in a couple denarii or whatever that mm-hmm. they would throw in. Um, but here it's Peter and John. They they get his attention. They want it. They want him to know that what is about to happen is going to be because of them, and there's something special that's about to happen. Yeah, what's about to happen is very different from anything anybody else that's passed by and has done something for you. This is going to be something entirely different. Um, And verse 5, he well, apparently this guy takes directions well. He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. 
And the, that is correct. He, he, he was going to receive something from them, but what he was expecting is probably not what he's about to receive. And that's what makes this event so amazing. Verse 6, But Peter said, I have no silver and no gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I, I very much like this uh, expression that, that Peter uses here uh, because, uh, number one, uh, I think he's being truthful. Um, remember the charge that Jesus had given to the apostles very early on when he was going to be sending them out, you know, I don't want you worrying about taking all kinds of money and uh, the changes of clothes and all that kind of stuff with you. And the point of that was to help them understand, I want you to trust in God and God's going to provide for those things. So I think Peter's being truthful when he says, hey buddy, I don't I don't have any cash to give you. Hmm. I can't tell you how many times I've been in situations where someone has asked for uh, money on the spot and I've been able to truthfully say, I don't have money to give you. Yeah. And, and for me, it's because I just don't carry cash with me. Uh, I mean, hey, if you've got a... You know, if you've got a one of those swipe things, I'll swipe a card for you and give you a couple bucks. Um, but what Peter's wanting to, to get him to think about is that uh, what I have for you is something that is of even greater value than money. What what I can do is um, I, I I can I can give you the ability to to walk. I can give you your health, uh, which is even greater than a couple bucks pitched in your direction. I like it how even in this, he directs the attention to Jesus. Yes. He automatically, you know, in the name of Jesus. Yes. It wasn't, he wasn't saying, I am special and I am amazing, right. so look what I can do for you. Yes. But it's automatically pointing to him. Yes. Which is, and this is, so this is where we're starting to get some good definitions about uh, about miracles and what qualifies as a miracle and uh, how we define a miracle and how miracles in the Bible are very, very different from what many in, in like charismatic movements and, and in other religious groups claim still happen today where, where there are you know preachers and televangelists and other people who claim to have spiritual gifts like they had in first century times. Um, that one of the things that we're going to see right here, first of all, is that this is done very publicly. This is not some secret event that happened behind closed doors and you know we're just left to you know take it at the word of you know one person that this happened um, this is being done right there in the open courtyard of the temple where there's all these people present standardbys watchers on um, and they're gonna witness this and um, yeah, so that's one of the first things that probably just needs to be kind of uh, pointed out about uh, miracles. Uh, obviously, the fact that it's out of the ordinary, you know, this is not some case where someone is sick and then someone, you know, lays hands on them and then like, you know, two weeks later they feel better. Yeah. Um, that's not what happens here. This is something that's uh, very obvious and it is clear and it is not normal. Uh, it's not natural. It's supernatural. And uh, it cannot be denied. Um, those are the kinds of things that we're going to see at work right here with this this miracle, which was true with all the other miracles that took place that Jesus did. And it'll be true of all the other miracles that the apostles do from this point forward. Yeah. And I mean, just to reiterate, we have, uh, you know, a very public place, a very public time. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's going there for the hour of prayer. And uh, a very prominent, I mean, people know this guy. Yes. He was lame from his mother's womb, and yes. he was there, as was his custom, every day. People knew him. And so if you were trying to pull the wool over the eyes, I would not use this guy. Yeah. You know, uh, because people know his issue. Um, you know, it's not like they, like you said, not they didn't plant this guy in the crowd somewhere. Right, and that, that, that is what happens a lot of times in the... Uh, in those religious messages. I mean, I've watched the documentaries where some of that stuff's exposed and hmm. the uh, insider edition, you know, gotcha sort of stuff. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, and, and actually, I think later down in the text, I think we're going to be told that this, this man is, what, 40 years old? Yeah, in chapter 4, yeah. uh, verse 12, 19 or 20. Yeah, so, so here's a guy who's, who's had this affliction from, from birth, so, I mean, for decades, you know, people in Jerusalem that would have grew up with him um, would, have, would have known about that guy. And they would have known, yes, he's legitimately 
handicapped. He's got legitimate problems. He's not a again. He's not a he's not a huckster, a swindler. He's not he's not looking to just take people's money. He 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 really is in need, and he really does have problems. And Peter goes to to that guy. I, I think that's intentional as well. Mm-hmm. You know, Peter could have looked for somebody else in the crowd that maybe had some kind of an affliction. But but this guy would have been you know kind of like you know, the top of the list of of who maybe is the in greatest need of, of of some help at this time. Verse seven, he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. I'll call attention to that word in verse seven immediately. Yeah. Again, that's another telltale sign of real miracles is that the. The reaction and the solution and and what ends up happening in those things it always happens immediately. It's not some again six weeks later I got better or uh, that sort of thing. It's it's instantaneous and um, those are the kinds of stuff I'm putting together like a checklist of of things. Here's somebody who claims to have performed a miracle. Here's here's three or four different things that we've already kind of pointed out that like I want to start kind of working through my checklist as to whether or not this person is is true and valid in what they're saying and claiming. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A lot of witnesses, uh, you know, very visible things that happen. And no other explanation. I yeah. mean, there's no, even if this guy, you know, we take our modern day medicine and we, we you know, give him surgery and fix the problems there. It's going to take months of intense physical therapy for him to be able to take a step. Yeah. Um, but, you know, immediately here is... He's up. Feet and ankles strengthened. Yep, I mean, he's, he's up. Right he's there. walking. The, the next verse, he's he's leaping. Yeah. Um, there's all kinds of activity here. I did want to say something really quick about verse 6 that I didn't say a second ago that I think it's a good point for us. When Peter says, you know, I, I don't have money, but what I do have, I, I'm going to give to you. I think that's a great lesson in stewardship. Hmm. That Peter recognized... All right, I, I do have some blessing in, the, in this particular sense that God had, had endowed him with the ability to be able to heal this man. And so I'm going to use that uh, in a God-honoring way and, and in a way that the Lord is going to be glorified, which he is. Um, and that's just a good lesson for us. You know, I, I may not have all kinds of money and resources to be able to, to do this or to do that to benefit the kingdom, but what do you have? Yeah. You know, do, do you have some other kind of ability that God's blessed you with? Um, have you been blessed with with uh, maybe more time than other people have? You know, you, if you've had a stage in your life where you're retired or something uh, along those lines, where maybe you have more time available to you that maybe someone in their younger years that's working a full-time job and raising a family, maybe they don't have the time to do X, Y, and Z, but now you can. All right, that's, that, that's, that's the idea of being a good steward. I'm going to use what I do have because that's what God's going to hold me responsible for. Mm-hmm. God's not going to hold me responsible for stuff that I don't have don't have in my possession and I don't have within my power but what I do have I need to be using that for the kingdom and Peter just demonstrates that for us in a very practical way right here yeah that's really good I mean we all have things that we're better at than others or even just opportunities yes. you know maybe we have some connections that other people might not have yep um, and you know we're given that for a reason yep we have that whole bunch of things we could put you know maybe I have more biblical knowledge and understanding than this brother or this sister over here well the Lord's the Lord's gonna hold you accountable for that yeah. uh, how'd you use that uh, I didn't give you that stuff for nothing I gave you that stuff because I wanted it to be put to good use and Peter realized that hey God's given us this amazing ability we need to be using that in the right kind of way and um, especially making sure that we're using that to His honor and to His glory. And to your point a moment ago, first words out of Peter's mouth when he gets ready to do this, in the name of Jesus, by His authority. He's the one that I want to make sure gets the credit in this. Uh, I'm merely just serving as the, the instrument, the conduit through which those things are, 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 are going to be happening. Even if we're teaching somebody the Bible, you know, it's yep. all, all glory goes to God for His Word and, and how it changes people. It's yep. not us. We're just the vessel. We're just the, you know, the, the jars of clay that the Lord is, is, is using. Uh, verse 8, so uh, this man is, is healed. His legs and ankles, feet, ankles are made strong. Verse 8, leaping up, he stood and he began to walk and he entered into the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him. So here's that emphasis on the fact that 
Everybody sees this. It's very public. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they, that's all these people who saw this, they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And I think this speaks to one of the other points about miracles. What was the point of, of, of miracles? It was, it, it, it was to cause people to, to take notice and to certainly be amazed by what happened, but it's to create a captive audience that will then allow the, the, the one who performed those miracles, in this case Peter and John, to be able to speak the Word of God. It gives those men uh, credence, it gives them validation, it gives them um, the, the kind of uh, you know, stamp of approval that's needed for people to listen. Oh, okay, those guys were used to bring about this healing of this man, we probably ought to listen to what they say. Because you know, they've been given power by God, then probably the words that they're saying are also words from God. And that's the more important thing here, is that uh, these things are going to lead to the preaching of, of the Word of God. It's not just doing cool things for the sake of cool things. Hey, you know, bzz, bzz, you know doing all this neat stuff um, miraculously. Hey, look what I can do. It's it's for the purpose of being able to point right back to, 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 to where all that comes from. Where's that power come from? This is, this is from God, and, and I need to tell you about Him. Yeah, just think of what would happen if, if they didn't do anything like that. If they, Peter and John just went into the temple and just started preaching. Hey guys, you need to listen to Jesus. It's yeah. like, okay, why? You know, what, what's the reason? Um, you know, these guys are not more important than any other guys. Anybody can get up and say whatever they want. Yep. Um, but to make sure that we know that what they are saying is truth and, and that is legitimate and we need to pay attention to it, think, uh, you know, God makes, God gives us evidence and, and he, it's, Christianity is not just something that, that we, uh, you know, we make up or, or, you know, we just accept it on faith. And, and when people say that, like they don't mean like faith. Yeah, exactly. Which, by the way, is not true faith. That's right. Um, and so we are given reasons to believe, and I think that it's very clear. Well, and this, you know, this man, um, if Peter and John had performed this miracle for this man and made him well, okay, that's great. But if they then walk away, and that's all that they do for him, mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things, is that man really better off? Yeah. Not really. Um, not unless he then just seeks, you know, sets out on an adventure by himself to try to discover the truth. Um, but and, and maybe here's a kind of a it's kind of somewhat comparable uh, lesson for us. Um, I get lots of visitors that come by the church building here through the week. You know, if I'm here studying and working on stuff, um, people will call or stop by, and a lot of times it is people that are looking for you know money or help in some way. Um, and and there's been opportunities when I've been able to you know to, to help in some way. But I never let those opportunities pass by without making some effort, some attempt to, can we study the Bible sometime? Mm-hmm. Uh, can I direct you to, you know, to our, 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 our website? Um, you know, would you be willing to come to services, you know, Wednesday night or, or what have you? <clears throat> because if I, you know, hey, let me give you some food and fill your belly and hey, you know, God bless you, then I, I've, I've not really helped them. Um, yes, I may help help them in a temporary sort of way, but, but I've not helped them in the things that truly matter and the things that are truly going to last, and that is the matters of the soul. And um, and that's that's probably why that's probably my biggest argument against churches today that kind of make it their mission to be all about catering to the physical needs of of humanity. You know, churches that. You know, make it their primary mission to you know to stop world hunger or you know other sorts of social causes in that way. Those are all good things, and th- there are things that, that 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 we as Christians certainly, if we can help in those ways, we want to. But but that's not the mission God has given the church. And um, like I said, we do a disservice to our world if all we do is cater to the physical needs of man. And we don't make the primary job tending to the spiritual needs of man. Because that's what we offer. We offer we offer simply what the Word of God offers, which is spiritual cleansing. 
Yeah, and that, that's what they need. That That is the greatest problem uh, known to man, sin. Yep. You know, and what are we doing to help that? I, I think sometimes, um, and I can't speak for everybody, but sometimes people see, you know, the opportunity to, to give people money or, or to feed somebody that's hungry or, or that sort of thing. Um, it, it makes you feel good and, and you, you sort of give yourself a pat on the back and mm -hmm. say, you know, I've helped somebody today. I've, I've done, done my good deed for the day. You hear that sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, if, if we're only, if that's what we're focused on, I think uh, our focus is, is uh, on... We've missed the boat. We have. Yeah. And so, I mean, we need to be concerned. If we're able to feed somebody, do it. If we're able to take care of somebody, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. But we need to look for ways, okay, but how can I help their greatest need? That's how right. How can I reach that's them right. spiritually? There just needs to be balance in all of this. But, you know, and, and I think one of the accusations that's sometimes been made and leveled against Churches of Christ is that m maybe there are Christians who have been neglectful of, of the very things that Jesus talked about in Matthew 25 that, that He says are going to be part of our of judgment. You know, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was, yeah. you know, naked and you clothed me. Uh, those sorts of things, those things are important. And I, I don't want, certainly don't want anything that we've said thus far to, to diminish that. Um, but those are not the things that are the most important. And, and we got to find the right balance. And I, I, I'll freely acknowledge that's not always easy. Um, right. You know, I, I want to be a good steward. You talked about that already. Um, I, I, I want to try as best I can to exert my influence spiritually. I want to, if I'm capable of doing it, to help people with the physical, you know, calamities that befall others. I know the Lord has certainly blessed me uh, far more than I deserve. And I know that I'm better off than a lot of people in this world. Um, but finding the exact right balance of all that, that's not always easy, but um, it, it just it, it requires a mindfulness and intention that number one above everything else, my care is for people's souls. That needs to be number one, and I don't think, I don't think there can be any doubt or arguing about that whatsoever. No, absolutely. Um, so everybody's amazed at what happens with, with this man as they come into the temple uh, area there. Verse 11 says that while he clung to Peter and to John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico or in the porch called Solomon's. So this man's, you know, he's clinging to him. Does the New American use a different word? Uh, it's clinging. It's clinging. Yeah. Um, he's just hanging on to this man, I, I, hanging on to Peter and John. And part of that is probably a show of his gratitude. Yeah. And um, you know the recognition that these guys are men of God, and um, whatever they've got, I want, um, and, and and I want to know more about that. Um, and it causes all these people to come, and they want to they want to not just see, but hopefully to hear what what has to be said. And what follows, beginning in verse twelve, is what I would probably kind of <laughs> kind of refer to as. The Frank Stallone. Uh, Frank Stallone is the lesser-known uh, brother of Sylvester Stallone, mm -hmm. and and Frank probably kind of gets uh, overlooked. He's the you know the the, the ugly duckling sibling in that uh, tandem. Um, and Acts chapter three, the sermon here, kind of I think in our minds gets treated that way in comparison to Acts chapter two. Everybody yeah, knows Acts chapter does. two. Yeah. We we talk about it and cite it all the time. But the sermon that Peter delivers here in Acts chapter 3, in many ways, is just as powerful. And it's just as convicting. Uh, and we're going to see that it's, it's convicting uh, as, we, as we get to the, to the conclusion of it. Um, and so I don't want to give Acts chapter 3 sermon the shaft. I want to give it its, its due credit as we talk about it uh, today. Um, verse 12, when Peter, saw, when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? So, once again, Peter's, I'm going to shift the focus off of me. Mm -hmm. Everybody's looking at us right now. And I think that's a natural reaction for the people to do that. That's, that's who I'd be looking at. Um, but he wants to shift off of himself and he wants to put the focus on heaven, puts the focus on God. Jesus did that often. Even when Jesus did miracles, he would oftentimes just point people to the Father. Even Jesus, you know, kind of modeled that that whole concept. Uh, put the focus on on the Lord and where these things come from. It's not by 
by my power, Peter says. It's not by my... What's the other word that you use in the American Standard? It's piety. It is piety. Well. Yeah. You know, my own goodness uh, or, or, or something about me and my character that this happened. Uh, it's by God. Um, God could even use... I mean, it, it, God could cause a miracle to take place through a, a wicked person if he wanted to. Yeah. Um, that's that's not even the, the the basis for what causes miracles to have took place back then. Um, it's God that did this, and that's where He's going to put the focus. Well, He's going to start talking about God right away here in the very next verse. And He does immediately. And I mean, it's just you have uh, you you think of how Jesus interacted with the Pharisees, and you remember He. He told them, uh, you know, don't do your deeds to be seen by men, yep. um, because that's that's their focus. And a lot of times, even even today, we have people uh, watch this. I want to give this this homeless person five dollars, and they put it in social media, and, and yeah. it's just like everybody, look what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's not about us. It's not about any kind of credit we get uh, from people, but all glory always goes to God. You know, even in the, the good spiritual things that we're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, don't think too highly of ourselves. It, we're doing it because of the Lord. Yeah. I always, you know, as, as a preacher, you know, so after services are over, standing in the foyer, and it's kind of customary for the preacher to be made available to folks. And I always try to make it a point because I, I want to greet everybody. And sometimes before services, I don't get a chance to shake everybody's hand. So after services is the time to do it. And, uh, it's always awkward for me because you know folks want to come up and they want to tell you you know good lesson, good job, right. uh, and so forth. And and, and I know that the, the, what the point of that is. The point of that is to just be encouraging, and mm -hmm. and, and I appreciate that. I, I don't I don't want to diminish that at all. And if anybody's listening to this and you hear me preach sometime, don't don't feel like you can't come to me and you know thank yeah. me or, or say something encouraging. It's always very much appreciated. But it does, it, it's kind of an awkward position to try to know exactly the, how to handle that because I never want the credit to be about me or you know that, that great illustration that I came up with or the, the, the impassioned way in which I said that as, as being the, the focal point. And that's the challenge in, in yeah. preaching and in, in many things in our, our service to God is for us to get out of the way so that people can see Christ and people can see God. And, uh, and I'm not professing that I've mastered that in any sort of way. I, I struggle with that sometimes, knowing how to walk that tightrope um, just right. But um, that's what Peter's trying as best as he can do right here, is he's trying to just get out of the way so that he can put the focus on the Lord. I think sometimes we put too much focus on the public worship. Mm -hmm. uh, because, I mean, some people are, are just invisible in the visible roles yeah. because uh, you know that's that's just the nature of it that that's just how uh, how worship is set up um, you know somebody has to speak somebody has to do that right um, but uh, how do we have that balance of well everybody's important you know because there's some people who don't have speaking abilities right. are they less important no nope. of course not nope and so we all have our role and we all have a responsibility we but we can't look at our role as more important or less important than anybody else you yeah know, we need to be doing what we need to be doing um you know i heard one time somebody gave me some advice they were like if you ever start feeling uh, a little too too high uh, about yourself and you know, you're, you're thinking too highly uh, what you need to do is next time somebody gets up and does an invitation or lead singing or something, just totally bombs it, totally messes up, go and stand next to them and listen to what everybody says to them. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the same people that congratulated you and yep. talk about how good a job, you know, what, what do they say to that person? You know, and yep. um, it, it's not about the public roles. Right. It's about what we're doing for the Lord. It's interesting that Peter's the one that is kind of, teaching us this lesson right here because if you read in the Gospels with about Peter, Peter is always the, he's called just kind of the brash one, the one to just jump up and just blurt stuff out. And it seemed like he was kind of the unofficial, maybe leader's not the right word, but spokesman often for, for the group. And, and I think we, we're starting to see, if we haven't already, is some growth out of Peter. Absolutely. You know, because he, he, he wants to kind of, I want to be in the background here because I want to make sure that, that everybody on this occasion, you are impressed with the Lord, not me. Uh, I'm just the agent by which the Lord is, is operating. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, 
the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Now this has got kind of some, some overtones of the sermon in chapter 2 where Peter just indicts the audience. He's once again talking to a, seems like a Jewish audience for the most part here. And, uh, and that's why he makes reference here to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. Um, hey, I, I, I want to make sure that we're relating here, uh, that we're talking about the same God. And it is that same God who sent Jesus, and th that's the guy that you guys killed. And, um, and he's going to end up using all of this once again in, in same, the same fashion as chapter 2 to convict these people of, of the sin that they had committed. Uh, but it is by his power that these things have taken place. Yeah. That's the emphasis. It is. And it, you see, um, it's they are in the temple. And so, yes, these are Jewish people. Um, and when you mention Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, man, those, those were the greats. You know, th those were the, the all-time greats. But he says that that God is the one who glorified Jesus. Mm -hmm. And um, it's it's through Jesus that we have that connection. And uh but he, again, like you said, indicts them. And you, you took him. Pilate was going to release him. Yep. But you didn't let him. Yep. And so it, it's all on you. Uh, verse 14, he continues on the thought, but you denied the holy and righteous one. I love that. Just, you know, I'm not going to just talk about him in the name that you all knew him as. You all just knew him as Jesus or you knew him as that, the Nazarene. Let, let me tell you who he really is. He is the holy and righteous one. And in my translation, those are in capital letters. Yeah, um, you asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead, and to this we are witnesses. Love all of those, those titles because they're all so descriptive about uh, Jesus' character and who he is, and furthermore, what he does for us now. Um, that he is, he is the author of, of, of life. Not just for himself, because yes, as Peter points out, he was raised from the dead. But because of that, he then makes it possible for us to have life. And, and that uh, seems to be what Peter wants them to understand. And notice at the end of verse 15, once again, to these things we are witnesses. Again, that, 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 that's, that's the, the central crux of, of gospel preaching in, in the first century, when, when you hear Peter preach, when you hear Paul preach, we're witnesses of these things. We're witnesses of the resurrected Lord, and, and, and that's why you need to give ear to the things that, uh, that, that are being said here. Uh, these are words from God. These are words from the one who did raise from the dead, and, and we want you to know that, that He is alive. And of that, there can be no doubt. It is, yeah, exactly. You know, maybe a little side note here. I just I like the irony in verse fifteen. Uh, yours says the author of life, mine mm -hmm. says the prince of life. You know, you put to death the prince of life, but because of how how much how living he was, mm -hmm. it didn't take. You yeah. know, his his death didn't last because he was raised from the dead, and I think that just shows what Jesus is able to give his followers. Yeah. You know, there, there's a sense in which we are dead spiritually. Um, is there any hope? Is there any way to get out of that? Any way to get through that? Absolutely. Yeah. We need, but we need to go to the one who can, who has conquered death, and who is able to, to give that. There's even, there's even that contrast, too, at the end of verse 14 with 15. Uh, you, know, you ask for a murderer. You ask for somebody who takes away life. And the one that um, you, you didn't want is the very one who could give life. And um, uh, powerful, I, I, I think all of the, the words here are clearly very carefully chosen by, by God through His Spirit as He's working through, through Peter here. Mm -hmm. Verse 16, And His name, by faith in His name, has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And so it is by Jesus that Peter wants them to know that these events have taken place here, this amazing moment that's taken place with this uh, lame man. He makes mention here that it, this man clearly had some kind of faith that was operating in him. Um, and maybe that's something that we would not have noticed if we had just read those first 10 verses there because there's no real mention of that other than the fact that it says the man 
you know, looked at them as, mm-hmm. as they had instructed. But there does seem to be some indication here in verse 16 that this man had uh, some measure of faith, maybe not perfect faith at that point, but uh, enough for the Lord to work with. Yeah, and I, I wonder if, if some of that might be talking about the, the faith of the apostles because, you know, it's one thing, um, you, you think of the, the people who, who tried to cast out demons in the name of Jesus but, but weren't followers of Jesus. And they, yeah. you know, they even mention uh, whom Paul preaches. Uh, but they weren't able to do it because they didn't have faith and yeah. they didn't have that connection. I think that we see uh, it, it's one thing to, you know, anybody can say, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus. Right. But what does that really mean? It means that you trust him, you have faith in him, you are, you're acting on this. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, I think there is a sense in which this guy, he, he was there begging, uh, you know, he was a Jewish man. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, definitely had faith in the Lord, so yeah, maybe there's some of that too. Yes, yes, I, I do. I, I appreciate you saying that because I think that that may also probably be the more the more accurate uh, meaning when he talks about by faith in His name and and the faith that is through Jesus. Yeah, uh, the apostles would have been the one that would have had the faith in Jesus um, more so than probably anybody else standing in that crowd at that moment. Yeah. Um, uh, but if they did, whatever, whatever faith that guy was lacking before this, he's got it now. And, yeah, and, and yeah. it's going to continue to, to, to grow and to build. Um, and he's in perfect health. That, that's the other emphasis. That's, that's how the ESV renders that. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it's not uh, he's going to gradually get better over time. He is instantaneously in perfect health as a result of, of this miracle. Verse 17, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as also did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ, his anointed one, would suffer, he thus fulfilled. And so uh, Peter, it's not so much that he's cutting them some, some slack here as he is um, just stating the truth, and that is people did not fully get it about, about the Lord. And, and the, truth, the reason I think Peter can say that is because even he himself and none of the other apostles, they didn't even fully get it. Uh, now, I mean, Peter and the apostles didn't, you know, act in, in such a way that led to the, to the murder of, of Jesus, but they didn't have a perfect faith, and they didn't have a complete understanding of all the things that the prophets had said and uh, all the things that Jesus had said about himself. Uh, and so I think in some ways Peter's kind of relating to them uh, a little bit. Um, but this man, Jesus, he fulfilled every single bit of it, every single thing that was spoken of by, you know, all those... You know, Prophets that would have been well known to them, better known to them than they are to us, probably. You know, Isaiah and Jeremiah, and uh, then even some of those minor prophets that we we struggle to even pronounce the names of yeah. uh, and find in our Bibles. Um, True. All that stuff was exactly what what God had planned and ordained, and um, it is it is by Jesus. As we said before, it wasn't an accident that yeah. Jesus was killed. It wasn't because well, his people rejected him. He wasn't strong enough. He wasn't powerful enough. He wasn't God enough to do it. Um, no, this was the plan. This was the plan of God, and this this was predetermined. It was yes. going to happen, um, and so you know the, all this idea of well, he's messed up. What do we do in the meantime? Well, let, let's just make the church, you know, and you know later it's, on we'll we'll have him come back and actually do it right. Um, which is such a foolish idea. Yet that yeah. that is what some religious groups will teach uh, yeah. as far as how all that went. But yeah, no, this was exactly uh, the way that God had planned for it to, to all go down. So, so Peter says in verse 17, all right, you, you acted in ignorance. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that doesn't mean you just get you know, a slap on the hand and you know, uh, no big deal. No, yeah. the very next verse, verse 19, repent therefore, repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. Let's just stop right there. Um, repent. This is, I've, I've said before, uh, repent is actually the first word of the gospel. Um, you go back to Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus first begins His public ministry. The first thing that's recorded coming out of Jesus' mouth is the word repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, when Jesus sent the apostles out, um, 
they sent, he sent them out with a message of repentance. Um, there in Acts 2, when Peter preached that sermon, you know, we talk an awful lot about baptism in verse 38, but before the baptism stuff, Peter talks about repentance. Paul, when he goes to the city of Athens later on in Acts 17, he's going to say, God commands all people everywhere to repent. Over and over again, there is just this note of repentance being sounded again and again and again. This turning, and that's the, the, the expression that Peter uses there, turn back. Uh, I think that's really important and helpful to know. We, we sometimes think about repenting as, as just it's, it's turning away from sin. Okay, yes, there needs to be the turning away from sin. But this turning back indicates that we're going to continue to turn all the way to the Lord. It's not enough just to stop doing the sin. We got to then go do find the Lord and do the things His way, um, and truly seek after Him. There's lots of people who stop doing sinful things, but they don't repent. Right. Think about you know the thief who gets caught stealing, and then he gets thrown in jail, and he's in jail for for five years. Well, during that five years, he stopped stealing. That he he stopped doing that. Yeah. Has he necessarily repented? No, he's not. Um, until he turns back, turns to God, uh, then that repentance is at best halfway and may not even be, may not even be halfway. Um, and so this is a really helpful place in helping to just define uh, what repentance is. It's that complete U-turn, not just a partial, but all the way. It is, and I think that here we, we see a few things about what it takes to be a believer. Because, you know, you think about, um, there's a lot of people today who will say things like, well, as long as you, you're sincere, as long as you, uh, you know, are truly convicted of what you believe, um, you know, then, then you're okay. Uh, mm -hmm. If you don't know the full truth, it's okay. God won't judge you based on that. But here, if that's the case, then Peter missed a great opportunity to yeah. say that. Yeah. You know, these people were God-fearing. They wanted to serve the Lord. But they were told that they had to repent, that mm -hmm. they had to return. They didn't know that they were in sin. They didn't know that they needed to. Um, does that mean, well, we could just just don't tell them it had to be okay? Right. No, we need to change. We need we need to and, and we need to show people. Yeah. Ignorance uh, is not bliss. Right. right. It, it, spiritually, it's not. So, uh, yeah. Um, well, and, and probably one of the more comforting things that would have been hurt. All right. So repentance is a tough concept. Uh, I mean, it's painful to repent. Uh, I can speak from, from my own life experience. I, I know that. Um, it's not a word that we like to hear or to have to think about doing. But the good news of it is what he says there at the end of verse 19 is that your sins may be blotted out. You know, in, in, in those times, one of the common kind of writing surfaces would have been um, on, on like a, a, a sheet of like hot wax. Mm -hmm. And people would have understood, you know, in the time when they didn't have you know, correction tape and white out and erasers on their pencils, um, the wax tablets would have been very helpful because if you were writing something and you, you, know, you made a mistake, uh, since you don't have an eraser to just erase it, well, the wax tablet, you just heat that wax up a little bit and then you can just smooth it all over. It blots that out and then you can correct it and things can be better from the, the, then on. And I think Peter's kind of drawing on that sort of imagery when he says here, blot it out. Um, it, erased, gone, clean slate once again. Yes, you guys did really the most horrible thing anyone can do. You're responsible for the death of Jesus. But if you will turn to God, the promise is, is that He's going to blot those sins out. He's going to wipe them clean. Those things are not going to be held to your account anymore. God's not going to remember that in the sense that uh, He's going to you know, continue to lay that charge against you. Um, that's the wonderful and glorious promise that accompanies the, the tough command to repent, which makes that very good news. It is, it is. In verse 20, the, the expression that follows there in the very next verse, times of refreshing... Again, that, that's more, that's good language. He said some tough things, but let me tell you some good things that come as a result of that. And uh, maybe sometimes we don't do that enough. Maybe we don't, we don't emphasize the, um, the, the positive side of, of, of what comes when we do yield and, and submit to God and turn and do things His way. Uh, Peter speaks in those terms here. The weight of sin is real. And, and when we have that washed away, when that's gone, 
Man, it is refreshing, and and you know you you almost have you you see people who become Christians, and there's there's this zeal, there's just this this desire to serve God and to to just do everything they can because they're so grateful and because mm-hmm. of what, what what burden has been taken away. Yeah, yeah, uh, and that's the way that it's supposed to work. That we you know we we do those things for the Lord because of of. It's a natural response to, to what He's done for us, the blotting out, the refreshing, the, the all the things that He's done for us. It's not we're doing that because, well, i got to do all this stuff that God told me to do. It's not why we do that. We do that out of it's, it's a natural response of, of love and gratitude for, for what He's done. Um, Peter concluded there, verse 21, talking about uh, the, the, the things that God had spoke by the prophets long ago. He quotes Moses in verse 22. Moses said that the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, and you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. Uh, verse 23, And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. So, so there was all the way back to, to as early as the days of Moses. You know, Moses was a, a prophet, a spokesman for the Lord, a messenger for the Lord. And Moses spoke of someone who was going to come that was greater, uh, even greater than, than he. And I mean, to the Jewish mind, you know, you think about that expression, the law and the prophets. Moses was the embodiment of, of the law. Elijah was the embodiment of the prophets. So yeah. names and, and, and characters like that would have been just you know, almost revered in, in the Jewish mind. And Peter hearkens back to, to Moses and then all those who came after him as saying, somebody else is coming along later. And even those prophets, when they were saying that, they probably didn't even fully grasp or understand what, what that meant or who that was. Um, but you need the point is you need to listen to him in whatever he tells you, and Peter's saying those days are are, are now. Yeah, you're living in those days. It's impressive, man. You you just think of and I, I want to put this sort of tie this in with what he said about uh, they acted in ignorance. Um, they had the scriptures. Mm-hmm. They they had all of this that they could look forward to. I I wonder if if some of this isn't an indictment against them. That listen, guys, you should have seen this. Yeah, you were ignorant, but it wasn't God's fault. Yeah, uh, He told you. He told you this was coming. And if you were more careful in your study and your reading and didn't let you know the preconceived notions of the people around you influence yeah. how you looked at this, maybe you would have seen that. Yeah, this may. You're right. This may have been more self-inflicted ignorance as opposed to. You know, the hypothetical guy on the deserted island who's never heard the first thing about God or ever seen a Bible before. Um, These are people who, in some respects at least, were without excuse. Um, These are, like you said, these are the people who should have have been if they had been diligent in their study of, of of God's word, and we know if you know your Old Testament history, we know that there was, you know, peaks and valleys with God's people. There were clearly periods where people, you know, the Israelites were away from God, and then then there would come a period where someone kind of leads a a, a revolution, so to speak, and they discover God's word, and there's newfound commitment to it, and then that's kind of short lived, and it's back into these down periods, and. Um, for whatever reason, these these people during the time of Jesus, uh, at least the people who were involved in uh, his murder and delivering him over in that way, uh, it seems that yeah, Peter Peter may be saying you you guys were ignorant, but you you, you didn't have to be. Yeah, and it wasn't God's fault. Um, <clears throat> verse twenty five: You are the sons of those prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham. In your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That harkens back to uh, the, the three great promises that were made all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. Um, those first couple promises about the land and about the great nation, those things were fulfilled within just a couple of generations. Those things happened back then. Um, this third one, which is the most important one, about all the people of the earth being blessed uh, through him, um, Peter's saying that's happening right now. Um, th- this is the fulfillment of that great command that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. Uh, this is, in some ways, this is kind of an inadvertent 
um, good Old Testament history lesson that Peter's given here. Uh, probably not as, as belabored as the one Stephen's going to give in chapter 7, uh, which is going to be a full <laughs> Old Testament history lesson. But, but again, Peter's aware of his audience. And he knows who these people are, and he knows what they understand, uh, or at least what they ought to understand. And I'm going to tie all that together uh, to help you see th this, this Jesus is the one who'd been talked about all along. Verse 26, to wrap it up. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And so Peter really says, you know, God, here's, here's, here's some more good news. God actually has given you guys first crack at this gospel thing. And again, that was a matter of, of prophecy. That was a matter of something that Jesus himself had, had said and kind of those occasions where you know, he would tell the disciples, don't go to, to these regions yet. It's not time for that yet. Uh, first, we're going to the household of Israel. Uh, and Peter says, you guys are getting the first shot at it. The whole reason for that is so that the Lord, through Jesus, can give you the blessing that comes by turning back to Him, turning away from this wickedness and turning to Him. There's that repentance thing uh, talked about once again. Yeah, you, you think of what the Jews were supposed to be for the people around them the whole time they had the law. Mm -hmm. you know, God tells them that you were a city set on a hill. You were supposed to be the examples in purity and in all of these godly characteristics, and they weren't. They ended up being worse than the nations around them in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, and so he's he's sort of like getting giving them another shot. Yeah, it, it's like okay, listen, you you messed this up royally a few times already. Uh, you know, let's try it again. Let, let's see what happens. Um, and he's given them that chance. That speaks to the just incredible. I'm not going to say infinite because I know it's not infinite. Um, patience of God. And the reason I say it's not infinite is because Second Peter chapter three talks about. You know, God is long-suffering, but there's coming a time when that long-suffering will come to an end. But it is a patience that is more than, you know, all of our patiences added up together, multiplied by a million. Um, how often, if I were God, how often would I have been tempted to just say, forget these people? I'm tired of dealing with them. They are rebellious children. They are stubborn. They are hard-hearted. They're just not getting it. I'm done with them. Let's find some people over here. Hey, there's some good little Gentile folks over there who, you know, that they seem like they've got... Cornelius, let's just start all over with that guy and his family, and that's who I'll make my people out of. Um, and you think about that on a grand scale, how God does that with nations, and we really can't make that point without thinking about that on a personal level how patient God is with me, how patient God is with you. Despite all of our hard-headedness and foolishness and continues to give us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to turn back to Him and to do better and to, to be more and more like, like His Son. And um, Yeah, I think that, man, verse 26 there, He blesses you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. There's blessing in uh, leaving the destructive path that mm -hmm. we're on. Uh, you know, the, the grace of God isn't that we get to keep on doing what we've been doing and, and we can just continue in sin so that, you know, God's grace keeps, keeps raining down on us. But it's, it's that God is so merciful to us that He lets us not be trapped by our own desires and our own wants and our own sins. Yeah. Um, his, his ultimate goal for us is to make the change, to be more like Him. And so instead of, of seeing this as a promise of, wow, I, that means I can do whatever I want to, you know, sin as much as I want to, mm -hmm. and then He has to forgive me. He's going to. No, this should inspire us to, okay, I need to stop right now. Yeah because of how great this is, and, and just latch on to them. Yeah. The blessing of, of repentance. That's, that's, that's what you could actually say is what that's saying. Mm -hmm. The blessing of, of, of repentance. And again, that's, that's not the way people commonly think of, of repentance. People think of it as yeah. just a, it's a hard thing. I don't want to have to think about that and all the changes that uh, I'll have to make. But um, this passage speaks about how repentance uh, leads to blessing and how God, that's how, that's how God is able to uh, really shower his 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 grace and his goodness upon us. Um, that's how chapter three ends. That that doesn't mean that that's the end of this 
this scene here because chapter 4, uh, and I don't know, you, we could argue about whether or not this is a great chapter division or not, but if this wasn't placed here, then that means we'd have 63 verses that we'd have to try to, to plow through. But um, we'll pick up next week with um, uh, what, what is going to happen, the interjecting that takes place here right in the middle of, uh, of this sermon and the results of all of that. Um, but we'll stop right here at the end of chapter 3. Last thoughts on chapter 3 before we, before we close and call today. I just got to say, Peter is uh, already 3 for 3 on <laughs> the times that we've heard from yeah. him using Scripture. I yep. mean, he's just, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He can, you know, he could make his own Scripture or whatever, you know, that, that he's speaking directly. But he's using Scripture that's already there. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just powerful. We need to be people of the Scripture. Yeah. We, we need to... Uh, let our life be molded by God's word. We need to get in it more. And you know, that being said, I just I hope that everybody you know this week that we just we, we keep studying, guys. Yep, yep. Uh, there's a great emphasis placed upon uh, the word, even as we're reading uh, the word. And uh, I hope that um, we're being encouraged by that, and we're being prompted. Uh, not just to listen to us talk about the Word, but hopefully we're encouraging everyone else to, to get in the Word uh, on their own. We look forward to next time and talking about Acts chapter 4 next week.